Open up that crystal Pepsi and get comfortable. This is Dopeness Dope. This is episode 156 of Dope Nostalgia Podcast with me, your host, Naomi. I talked with a very popular producer in the country of New Zealand who had a massive number one hit back in the 90s with a song called How Bizarre. He is the writer of the song, the producer, and was a member of establishing OMC, the band Oterra Millionaires Club from New Zealand. And that's where he's joining us from. Alan Jansen is here as a special guest on Dope Nostalgia today. Here's a little bit of information on OMC. Wikipedia moment. Please bear in mind that Wikipedia is not to be taken as actual 100% fact. Any donkey could edit it at any time. If I'm reading you the artist's bio, that stuff is the real truth. OMC, or Oterra Millionaires Club, were a New Zealand music group, then duo, with vocalist Polly Pumana later becoming the sole member. OMC was best known for the 1995 hit, How Bizarre, named one of the greatest New Zealand songs of all time by the Australasian Performing Right Association. The full name of the band is a tongue-in-cheek reference to Oterra's status as one of the poorest suburbs of Auckland. The Otero Millionaires Club was formed in 1992 by Phil Fumana, who had played in the band's house party, and Fumana. Fumana and his younger brother, Polly recorded two tracks as the new band for producer Alan Jansen's Urban Pacifica collection, Proud. Jansen had achieved cult status as a composer-producer for the synth-pop group Body Electric during the early 1980s. In 1994, after the split of the Otero Millionaires Club, Polly approached Jansen and the two formed a musical partnership with Humana, the public face, and Jansen as producer and co-writer. Polly suggested that they shorten the band's name to just the initials, and thereafter, Humana Jansen were OMC. Polly performed as OMC, serving as the frontman and playing several instruments during performances. However, the music was created by Polly and Alan, with Alan co-writing all the tracks and handling most of the arrangement and all production duties in the studio. Signed to Simon Griggs' Huh! label, OMC released the single How Bizarre in New Zealand in late 95. It was an immediate smash hit even without a video, reaching number one in early 96 and staying there for three weeks. It sold over 35,000 copies. The same year, how Bizarre went to number one in Australia for five weeks, sold over 150,000 singles, and was certified as a platinum single. Later in the year, the single went to number five in the UK and number one in countries across Europe and much of the rest of the world. In the United States, How Bizarre spent 32 weeks on Billboard's mainstream Top 40 chart, peaking at number one in August 1997 due to the large amount of radio play it received. This made OMC the first New Zealand artist to reach the number one spot on a Billboard chart. Now between 95 and 2000, worldwide, OMC sales are estimated at between 3 and 4 million records. How Bizarre was followed by the singles Land of Plenty, Right On, and On the Run, which were minor hits internationally. 
and then by 98, Pumana and Janssen had a falling out over royalties, which ended up in court. It was resolved in arbitration, with Pumana paying a sum to Janssen, and Janssen handing over all claim to the name and ongoing artist royalties. But the two regrouped in 2005 and released the single For All of Us, featuring the actress Lucy Lawless as a guest vocalist. In 2002, the song How Bizarre reached number 71 on the 100 Greatest One-Hit Wonders. Now, Phil and Polly have both passed away. Phil passed away in 2005 of a heart attack. In 2010, Polly died at North Shore Hospital in Auckland after suffering for several years from a chronic degenerative disease. Progressive, demyelinating polyneuropathy, an autoimmune disorder similar to the nerve disease multiple sclerosis. He was 40 years old and was survived by his wife and six children. In February 2010, How Bizarre briefly re-entered the charts in New Zealand following the news of Polly's passing. I'd like to take the time to welcome to the show all the way from New Zealand, Alan Jansen. Here we are 13 hours apart, right? Basically. Yeah. Monday in New Zealand, still and Sunday in night. Canada? I am. I'm in Western Canada. Are you? What part's that? In Edmonton. Well, where's that? Um, it's just, okay. So I would say it's about a 12 hour drive from Vancouver, which is right on the coast. Oh, okay. um, so we're just a three hours on the other side of the Rocky Mountains. Cool. Yeah, I had an uncle in Vancouver. It's beautiful. Have you ever been to Canada? No, no, no. I've only ever been around the States and Australia and that's it. I should yeah. have gone when I was invited when I did How Bizarre, but I was too busy. Yeah. Well, one day, maybe you can still yeah. do it. Yeah, before I get too old. <laughs> oh, it'll be really nice, especially if you have any family, like you said, in Vancouver. Vancouver is a beautiful city to visit. I've heard that. That's just fabulous. Yeah. I love the Guess Who. So uh, where are they from? Uh, Saskatchewan, is it? Yeah, I think that's either there or Winnipeg. They might be from Winnipeg. Oh, Winnipeg. Okay. Wow. Yeah, no, they were Win cool. Favorite bands. Winnipeg's kind of like smack dab right in the middle of the country. Actually, it might be even the center of North America. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. There's your geography. Uh <laughs> when I was a kid, my um, the lady that worked in my parents' shop, she was married to a Canadian. I just found them so easy to get on with, you know. Yeah. Oh, well, that makes me happy. <laughs> Welcome, Alan, to uh, Dope Nostalgia. So here on our podcast, we have discussions about the things you did in the 90s, as well as what you're working on now. So we like to promote what's current as well for, in your career. So, oh, I'd love to. yeah. So what was the New Zealand music scene like in the 90s when you were getting things started there? Um, well, there wasn't much of a scene, really. There was, um, yeah, in those days, you used to have to get a band together and then you used to have to go and uh, get your act together and then you used to have to go and find people to play to because we were only about three and a half, four million people then. We're yeah. now five and a half million, I think. Wow. Yeah, it's growing. <laughs> yeah. Who were some of your musical heroes growing up? What, from overseas or New Zealand? Everywhere. Anywhere. Oh, gosh. Oh, of course, I love David Bowie. Um, my favourite was, um, believe it or not, was the uh, MC5. I oh, loved yeah. Them. Um, yeah, I grew up listening to them. It was a builder when I was doing my building apprenticeship, put me onto them. And uh, then there was um, Iggy Pop, 
And it was just, I think that whole, and, and um, believe it or not, this, I don't know if I should say this, but Green Funk Railroad. <laughs> Funny, they're all bands from Detroit, you know. They had that real industrial kind of sound going on back then. Mm-hmm. I think it was sort of because um, people that came into Detroit at that stage, they were, uh, you know, most of the families in that were working in car manufacturing places. Right. And it always had that I just love that. I sort of had a bit of drive and a bit of grunt, you know. That's true. I never put two and two together with that. That makes sense. Mm. And they they came, they were from musical families, a lot of those people, and they came from all over America, but ended up in Detroit, which is kind of incredible. Yeah. I guess that's where the industrial side of it came from. Oh, and I liked a bit of Motown as well. I was never big on Motown, but the Supremes used to blow me away. And Marvin Gaye, of course, you know. Absolutely. Mm. You had a very interesting beginning with OMC. So basically, from what I understand from my research, you're the co-writer and the producer of the group. Yes, that's right. And then Polly was the face of the group. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. What about Phil? Oh, Phil was um, Paulie's brother, and uh, <laughs> I, I yeah, Phil was a nice enough guy, but uh, him and I didn't see eye to eye on a lot of things. Yeah. And um, uh, I thought um, because oh, it's a long story, I won't go into it. But uh, I told him to, um, you know, I basically said very nicely to him that uh, I tried to see him through rather than try and see through him, and I tried to help him get on and tell him where to get off. And I was very <laughs> disappointed in some of the things he'd been saying. And he said to me, oh, I must have said it when I was drunk, man. And I said, well, that's no excuse. Mm. <laughs> and so uh, anyway, I sort of closed the door on him. And then uh, Paulie knocked on the door. And I thought, oh, he must have sent Paulie around to beat me up. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> and Paulie <laughs> says, no one talks to my brother like that, bro. I want to come and hang out with you. <laughs> so I thought, oh, okay. And I realized that um, I guess he must have been um, stood over by his brother as he yeah. was growing up and was younger. You know, he would. Um, I think Phil would tell Paulie, oh, that guy over there, Paulie, he's mocking us. And Paulie goes, okay, Phil, I'll go. Really? And uh, then uh, I think he felt a lot, I don't know, he said that he felt quite safe with me. I think, too, because I was in a two-story building and we were upstairs and we could see anyone that was knocking on the door. Mm -hmm. (laughs) He probably felt a lot safer. You could see him coming. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah, but uh, he did. He came and saw me, and he said, "Do you think I got a chance in the music business?" I said, "Yeah, I think you got a really good chance, Paulie. Probably better than anybody else I've ever met." And uh, he said, well, "What makes you say that?" I said, "It's just unique. You've got a unique creation." You know, and he's, "Oh, okay, cool." And I said, "If we can incorporate that, make it kind of musical, that rapping through a trumpet, I think there's something magical there." And he says, okay, how long should I give it? I said, give it three years. And if it doesn't work out, go to art school, because that's what he wanted to do. Mm. Originally, he was going to go to art school. So, yeah, that's how it all sort of came about. And then um, Andrew Pinello, he's um, got a label over in uh, Australia, and it was called Volition in those days. And uh, their DJ, Robert Rasek, he did a remix of a New Order track. I think it was True Faith or something. Certain Faith, I think the track was, and it sold thousands. He did really well, and uh, I, I loved what Volition were doing, so I got on to Volition, and Andrew told me to uh, chase up um, OMC and bands like that and get the whole... Did you hear the album Proud that I did? No. Oh, look it up. There's a band okay. on there. They, they got the ball rolling, actually. Um, two girls called Sisters Underground. Yeah. Have you heard of them? I have not. 
Oh, I'm well, learning. that's quite interesting. They actually got the whole thing rolling. They came to me and they're really cool girls. Um, Hasana was from Washington State. Um, she had a, you listen to her raps, you listen to a track called In the Neighborhood that was on Proud. That was the first big hit that I ever really had. Yeah. And um, yeah, we did pretty well with it in um, New Zealand, um, Australia. And there was even getting airplay in Britain at the time, which surprised me. And uh, some woman rang me up from Warner Brothers and uh, they were going to use it for a movie. She said, ah, it's got Michelle Pfeiffer and all this in it. And it's a movie called My Posse Don't Do Homework. And I thought, oh, okay. And she said, I heard it when I was in Australia, the song. And I thought, okay. And anyway, it turned out the film, um, When I, I don't know how it works over there, but I think they show it to like about 800 people and they give a, an opinion on where they think it should go and what should happen. And um, they thought that the movie was too, um, it wasn't made for kids. It was more for adults. Mm-hmm. And believe it or not, they changed it to Dangerous Minds and they did Coolio. So, no uh, way. But uh, yeah, yeah, true story. Yeah, but it originally was called, the working title was My Posse Don't Do Homework. And they wanted oh, to really? underground for it. Yeah, crazy, eh? And um, she was very keen. She kept in touch with me a few times. She was a really nice um, publisher from Warners. And I thought, oh, wow, this is interesting. So, yeah, it all sort of started around then. No kidding. How did the, what was the story of how the song, How Bizarre, came about? Um, Paulie came around and saw me. And um, Andrew Pinello, who I was talking about that ran the label Volition, he um, said to me that they had this thing going on in Australia. I'd never heard of it because I never used to go out that much. I was always just locked in the studio. I had one of those <laughs> studio tans, you know, as pale as anything. And mm. uh, he said... Uh, we do this thing called Big Day Out, and there's a special slot in there. It's called the Boiler Room because, of course, in Sydney it's very hot. And he said, I'd like you guys to come over and do uh, all five Big Day Outs. So that was Sydney, Melbourne, Adelaide, um, uh, Gold Coast, and uh, Perth. And mm. I thought, oh, that sounds cool. You're kidding. So I went and told all the artists that were on Proud, and they didn't believe me. <laughs> but um, Paulie and Sisters Underground believed me. And uh, they came along and we got paid per diems. And it was amazing because we went on at 11 a.m. when the place was practically empty because it was starting to warm up. Mm-hmm. And uh, this boiler room was even quite hot then, you know, because the temperatures in Australia are crazy, as you probably know. <laughs> they, um, I remember um, Sisters Underground went on, they did their thing, and every time they played in the neighbourhood, people would rush in and dance, and then when they did other stuff, they would empty out, and I realised the power of a pop song, you know. Mm. And then um, Paulie and I, before we went on this tour, we didn't have any songs or anything, and we stayed up late one night, and we wrote eight songs. It was crazy. And then we got the band together, um, got them, uh, took us uh, about two days to get a DJ. Uh, he wanted the girl Cena on there that sung on OMC mm-hmm. um, and uh, a couple of other members. Um, one guy wasn't that great, but he played log drums, which was pretty cool. So we incorporated him as well. And uh, How Bizarre was one of those songs. And it was, um, we. Well, I think we used to call it Big Top or something then. Uh, I think because How Bizarre is basically a song about the circus of life, you know. Mm. Um, when I came up with the words, ringmaster steps out and says the elephants have left town. People are jumping and jiving, but the clowns are struck around, uh, stuck around. I'm basically talking about the stock markets around the world. Ah, metaphorically you know, like, speaking. Yeah. 
it's like the uh, ringmaster being the people in the stock markets and uh, um, people are jumping and jiving and the clowns have stuck around. Uh, uh, elephants have left town. That means the big players are gone mm. and the clowns are all there just throwing money around. That's kind of, there's just quite a bit of a deep meaning in there. And um, every time I look around, it's in my face. That was kind of uh, Paulie came up with every time I, and I that's so catchy, dude. And yeah. uh, and then he would go, "You're not there," and I'm like, "Oh." <laughs> so in the end, I said, "What about this? It's in my face." He said, "What do you mean by that?" And I said, "Well, I see the song being about advertising the whole world, the circus of life, you know. And there's these billboards every time I look around. It's in my face, you know. He said, wow, I never thought of it like that, and that was it." So, um, yeah, I, I helped him really do the verses, and he came up with the chorus melody. And uh, then, of course, it, it was working, but it wasn't quite there. And God bless us, Cena came in, and she did those look around. And she was really cool. I'd liked working with her. She mm -hmm. had a real Polynesian feel to it. And uh, Paulie would always sing a bit sharp, and she would uh, – oh, sorry, she would sing sharp, and he would sing flat. But when you put the two together, it kind of was in tune, if you know what I mean. Oh, wow. And, um, I discovered that with a lot of um, when you get gospel singers in the States and then it's bang on. But when you get them out of New Zealand, they, there's a group of them that sing sharp and a group that sing flat. And when you're in the middle, it just sounds fantastic. Comes together. I've never heard of that. That's fascinating. I love yeah, that. It's, interesting. it's like um, with log drums. I was recording a log drum team, a seven man log drum team. And mm -hmm. uh, I went and said to the guy, it was annoying me because he was out of time. And I went in and I said to him, Look, um, you're out of time. And they all looked at me. Oh, what have I done? You know. And I said, Oh, Ellen, it's his job to be out of time, you know. <laughs> and they said, um, he's out of time and we work around him. We work in front of him and behind him. And that's what gives it that okay. So I sort of humbly sort of pulled my hood over my head and went back behind the desk and didn't say anything, you know. <laughs> <laughs> hero to zero you know what i mean <laughs> well i mean you had a number one hit on the u.s billboard chart how does when you find out that happens what what how does that hit you oh it was <laughs> yeah i have to say you know um it um it was a goal that i set i know it sounds crazy but i believe that if you um help enough other people get what they want they help you get what you want Mm -hmm. So I sort of looked at the record company, what they needed was, we just had nothing happening overseas. It was all, I don't know, it just wasn't, we were just copying what was happening overseas. And I always loved the mouldy guitar strum. I call it the mouldy strum, that jika and jika, and almost like a reggae thing going on. And mm -hmm. I used to play it on the building site with the builders and that, and I incorporated it into how bizarre. But yeah. I kind of took a little bit of, um, I shouldn't be telling you this, but it's kind of a little bit of Lou Reed. That yeah. sort of um, sweet Jane, but turned backwards, if you because oh. it's a B to a G to an F, and then Dylan sort of lyrics, you know. So I'm kind of culture jamming it all, mm. and uh, I found with a catchy chorus, it was kind of interesting. I love writing like that, mm. and uh, when I heard uh, Casey Kaysen come on the um, radio, I was actually vacuuming my kitchen at the studio. And I heard Casey Kasem say, um, and the number one record in America this week is OMC. And he said, and that doesn't stand for outboard, what did he say? Outboard um, outboard motor club or um, motorcycle club. And I thought, oh, okay, something something along those lines. And that's interesting. Mm -hmm. 
And uh, I, I suddenly just said, hey, hang on, he's talking about us. <laughs> and yeah. I just got a big rush, you know, of goosebumps and everything. And went, wow. And he played How Bizarre. And it just, honestly, it just took my head off because it was a goal. Because in those days, I think there was only about 840 number ones on the American charts. And a lot of those were Beach Boys, Sir Up and John, people like that that had already had a number one and gone back and had more, you know. Yeah. So just to get one in there really meant something to me. And everybody in New Zealand said, hi, oh, you're, you're a joke if you think you're going to get a number one in America. Um, you've got a better chance of winning lotto, you know, <laughs> the numbers games. And I thought, yeah. oh, I think we've got a chance. Nice. Uh, you know, I just, I, if I didn't think I didn't have a chance, I wouldn't believe what these people are saying. You've got to give it a go, you know. Mm-hmm. And so we actually geared towards it. And even to the point where we um, changed words like um, Marines, police reporters, it was soldiers, police. And I said, no, no, make it Marines. The Americans like Marines, you know, and, things like that. So, yeah, that's kind of how it worked. We deliberately set about doing it. It wasn't like we just were walking around one day and said, oh, let's write a song and hope it goes number one in America. You know what I mean? Was, I guess it's like Sir Edmund Hillary. You know, he wasn't when he conquered um, Mount Everest. You know, he wasn't just walking around and, you know, he <laughs> planned to do it. And that's what we planned to do. I know it sounds crazy. and people. No, you, I, you set out to plant the flag. Exactly. Yeah, yeah you got it. Yeah. And people thought I was nuts. And, uh, oh, what about the music, man? And I said, well, if we don't have music that pays us anything, then I can't keep doing it. You know, I have to stick to doing adverts and things, which I hated. You have but, a very good point, because sometimes you just need that one hit just to fund all the stuff that you love to do. Yes, yeah, that's true, Naomi. That's so true. And out of it, I've got my own studio and we've got our own place. And it's it's very quiet here. We've moved out of Auckland City, but we're only 40 minutes away. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, behind me is all um, fields. Is sort of they grow vegetables all year round here, and that's pretty cool. So you're out in like a rural area. Yes, but um, believe it or not, there's 24 beaches around us. It's not far from the sea. Anyway, we want to go. If we drive for 10, 15 minutes, we're near the water. You know, which is oh, really that's cool. so wonderful. Yeah, we managed to find an old uh, community hall, and mm-hmm. someone had done all the bedrooms and uh, all the. Um, air conditioning in the rooms and the windows and down the front they had a workshop there and that's where I put the studio so it worked out really well very now, nice two years ago I was looking for about five years you know Every time I look around, I 
every time I look around. Every time I look around, it's in my face. After these messages, we'll be right back. Dope Nostalgia listeners, I love you and I thank you so much for being a part of this show and its success over the last two years. We have what's called Patreon for those who want to support the show financially. For as little as $1 a month, you can become a subscriber and get bonus content, early podcast release, all kinds of cool behind the scenes stuff, and more. There's different tiers of membership starting at only $1 a month. And we even have some special merch for you guys who are in it for the long run. So please join our Patreon. It's at www.patreon.com forward slash dope nostalgia. Who creates the content we love? I was a very emotional child. But I was really shy growing up. What makes them passionate? I want to draw Saturday morning cartoons. I could actually write some of this. Part of me comes out in a design that I do. And why do they persist? You know, I was in a bad mental spot. It was a big sacrifice. The hard-earned lesson is you have to do your own thing. And this has been like a rebirth for me. Hear their stories on your favorite podcast player. Creators After Dark. No little cinnamon gum freshens breath longer than Big Red. So kiss a little longer, stay close a little longer, hold tight a little longer, longer with Big Red. Let Big Red freshness last right through it. Your fresh breath goes on and on. While you chew it, say goodbye a little longer, make it last a little longer. Give your breath long lasting freshness. The, there was royalty issues and such that happened in the group with Paulie and all that. What were some of the good memories you have with him? Oh, I love the guy. I miss him so much. Mm-hmm. He was a cool, one really cool dude. He um, he was the sort of guy that if he went into a secondhand shop um, that sold secondhand clothes like the Salvation Army or something like that, you know, um, or the Red Cross, he'd come out looking like he's wearing an Amani suit. He was just one of those guys that... <laughs> Gosh, he just had a, a flair and a, he ended up getting me into wearing track pants and, um, you know, jackets with the stripes on them and Nikes and all that like stuff. Like the Adidas and stuff? Nice. Yeah, that's, yeah, I never used to wear that, Naomi. I mean, that wasn't my thing. But he said, no, this is what you need to wear, bro. Uh, he was <laughs> a very, very styly guy and he was a lot of fun. But um, unfortunately, in another sense, he was like a dog that had been kicked one too many times and it comes up to you and you go, hey, boy, and it's backs off from you you know that's mm-hmm. that's I think, I think um a hard upbringing because half Maori and half Nuaian and he didn't know you know what's what side he was on if you know what I mean oh interesting because oh. mm. the oh. Maoris here are the deep very true you know staunch and uh Nuaians are sort of like the same but they're two different people you know when did you last see him because unfortunately, I know. I'm, I'm sorry he's gone now. I'm yeah, sorry about that. Uh, what, what actually? We did some music together, and uh, we did a couple of tracks. One of them I really loved, um, and it was never. It was the saddest, saddest song. It was never released. Um, it was. Uh, it was called. Um, was it Baby Maybe or Maybe? But I can't remember. Maybe Baby, but um, and believe it or not, um, do you know um, Cena? Did you ever see that show, Cena Warrior Princess? Yeah, 
yeah, well, we got Lucy Lawless to come and do vocals on it with us. No and, way. Yeah, it just sounds gorgeous, gorgeous song. And um, then Paulie, I don't know why, he didn't want to rap on it. So we got um, my favourite rapper, who was a guy called uh, Boy C. He came in and uh, he rapped on it. And he's just like, I don't know what it was with Boy C. Every time I worked with him, we'd get a number one hit, you know. Um <laughs> Every time he rapped, you could hear you could hear the cash registers ringing. He just had a <laughs> clear sort of diction, you know, when he rapped. And mm -hmm. um, I started working with him when he was only 17. And he came in and did the raps on this track. And um, it was quite, um, you've you got to be careful what you write and what you sing about because it can come true. Well, usually it does. <laughs> <laughs> it was a track with Georgian violins. Um, yeah. This chap came in from Georgia and he had this little violin he put on his lap and he played it and it just sounded gorgeous. So I'll try and find a mix of it and send it over to you. Oh, it's yeah, I'd love that. Beautiful track. And um, that was the last time I saw him. We worked on that and Lucy Lawless did the vocals on it. Mm -hmm. And it was really, really a lovely track. But um, Boy C had um, some lines in there like, bug down, I can almost hear kinfolk now weeping as you leave the ground. Maybe, baby, don't leave me this way. That was kind of, you know, and um, kind of freaked me out a bit. But, um, yeah, you've got to be careful what you write about. It's deep. <laughs> yeah, it was very deep, yeah. song are you most proud of like one you may have wished that had been a single or one I that you, one that you love really right on i right love right because it's so new zealand you know it sort of sells that down everybody loved land of plenty but for me i used to think oh gosh it's not my sort of thing you know we came to this land. it wasn't just, just wasn't me you know and mm. he came and said to me oh we've got to do land of plenty bro he said my father wrote it I said, really? And I said, oh, well, we have to do it then, you know. So we did Land of Plenty. And then when it went to um, number five on the New Zealand charts, I said, gosh, your father could write a good song, Paul. He said, oh, I was just bullshitting you, bro. I wrote that. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. I just wanted you to record it. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> so, you know, 
there's only one idiot here, and that was me. <laughs> no, he's sneaky. <laughs> Very sneaky, yeah. Now, you own the most advanced recording studio in New Zealand, right? Uptown Studios. Oh, yes, yeah. Well, I'm thinking of calling it the packing case because I've updated it again. Yeah. And, um, um, yeah, I've made it all out of ply because I found all the low frequency just passes through it instead of bouncing. When I had Uptown Studios, the bass used to bounce around the room a lot. So I mm. had to absorb it and get it out of the room, which was a real hassle. But um, oh. with the new studio I've built, the bass just passes through the walls because I own the building myself. It goes into the room next door, which there's no one in there anyway, so it doesn't really matter. And oh. I just find it so easy to mix stuff now. I can mix stuff in a few hours, whereas before it used to take me a few days, you know. <laughs> no kidding. Yeah, I yeah. guess tracking is everything, right? If you can't get a good, good track to work with because of the room, that's rough. That's true. Yeah, that's very true. The room we had was all right. It could get a good bottom end out of it, but there was a few nodes in there I had discovered. <laughs> and it wasn't until I moved out of there that I really started to notice it, you know. You got to get all the, like, the physics worked out. <laughs> yes, yeah. And um, that room was invented for us by a guy from the DSIR, which is the um, Department of Scientific and Industrial Research in New Zealand. He was mm. an acoustic specialist. He did a pretty good job back then, but of course, in the last sort of um, 25 years, technology's really changed big time. Do you keep up with the tech? Is there any technology that you don't want to work with, or are you pretty much on top of it? I think, yeah, yeah, it's interesting you should say that, Naomi. I, I guess I've gone into the digital age taking as much analog gear with me as I can. All my mm. outboard gear is analog. I have three AMSs and, um, you know, Eventide and a lot of old analog gear, and I just put it all into a digital mixing console, you know. Oh, I love that. I love that analog's kept alive. Oh, it's best, isn't it? Analog rules, eh? It still okay. sounds fantastic too, you know. I'm grateful that I took, well, I took a recording course um, and I'm really grateful that we did do a section on analog just so that we could understand it, even though we weren't going to be really using it, just to see like the origins of everything and how much better it, in certain ways it sounds. Oh, it sounds beautiful, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. The richness. The digital is because at, um, you know, 44.1 kilohertz or 21,000 kilohertz, you get so much information crunching up there so fast. Mm. It creates a false harmonic. And the ear doesn't hear it, but the brain perceives it. Oh, wow. That's why people won't listen to CDs for four or five hours, but they'll just keep playing vinyl. Really? Yeah, they find it irritating. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah, crazy, isn't it? I remember Doug Rogers. Listen, if you look up Doug Rogers, he's um, East West. Uh, he's another Kiwi that did really, really well. Um, he's got the um, old... Um, Gosh, what are those recording studios in the middle of um, Sunset Boulevard now? Um, the ones, oh, oh, gosh, they're beautiful. Uh, all the design work was by Stork, uh, that guy Stork, all the um, architecture work, but all the um, studios mm. were done by Bill Putnam back in the day. Um, mm. Beautiful recording studios. Everybody worked there from the Beach Boys to the Rolling Stones, uh, you know. So he's got those now, and he used to explain it all to me. He was quite an interesting guy, Doug. Are there some artists that you've worked with um, besides OMC that you'd like to share or that you uh, are still working with? 
Oh, okay. I'll send you a copy of um, Three the Hard Way. Have you heard a track called If It's On? No, I haven't. It's on. Okay. Well, that went to number one over here. Oh, um, wow. We They were going to go over to Australia and start working over there, but uh, I don't know what it is with hip hoppers. They always seem to get into trouble with the police. <laughs> and, oh, well, where did they where did they come out? Of, like, obviously from New Zealand, but what's, uh, what era, what year was that? Um, well, their first track, they came to me. And they said, um, oh, we want to record this. And I just listened to it. I said, no way am I recording that. I said, um, you're going to get, you know, you're going to get done for it. And it was, um, we don't like hip hop. Oh, no, we love it. You know. <laughs> yeah. oh. <laughs> and of course, they put it out. It went to number one in New Zealand and it went to uh, top five in Australia. Uh-huh. And of course, um, 10CC's management or publishing company came in and just, and that was the end of that. You know? Oh, wow. They had to pay all the royalties out, yeah. So uh, then they came back to me and they'd um, taken a track, but we managed to disguise it enough. Um, I can't remember what the track was. It was, uh, oh, gosh. If When you hear the track, you'll go, oh, I know that. But, oh, yeah? Uh, fortunately, my publisher over in Sydney at, um, at Universal Publishing, he had the publishing to this other track as well, the one that we'd ripped off a little bit, and he got an okay on it. So, uh, yeah, we um, released it. But at the end, it didn't. It, it sounded a bit like it, but it wasn't exactly like it, so we got away with it, you know. Um, and that, that went number one. That was a track called If It's On. I really loved that. Mm. And then I did some country music for a while, which um, I love the story in country, the stories, you know, because there's always yeah. stories going on in country music uh, for a girl, Ellie Cook. And uh, she said, oh, I'm trying to get into these um, country charts, the rural country charts in Australia. Yeah. I said, oh, that shouldn't be too hard. So I wrote her a track, um, what was it called? Um, Mid- Midnight Cowboys. And the guy I wrote it with, he came back and he changed it to Robot Cowboys. Sounds pretty cool. I'll, I'll try and send you a copy of it. It's a, about okay. a cowboy who just goes out into the desert and, um, you know, thinks everything's cool. And, uh, you know, he's on his own and he's just looking at the stars and suddenly he sees a satellite looking at him and he's looking back at it. You know, he realizes he's not on his own. Oh, wild. I'll, how, popular, I'll how popular is country music in Australia and New Zealand? It's pretty popular, yeah. It seems to be huh? getting bigger and bigger. It's not really my thing, but what I did love was the stories in it, and mm. a lot of it was quite rocky. It didn't sound like country music at all to me. It sounded uh, a lot more rockier, you know, and I thought, gosh, mm-hmm. this is pretty cool. Um, one artist I've been working with is um, Moana McCartney. Um, she's, uh, she calls herself Prim, and um, she's getting a lot of interest at the moment. I've just finishing putting the finishing touches on her album. We spent a year making it uh, because of COVID and the lockdowns and everything. Yeah. And um, she um, rang me from England, said she was coming back to England, uh, from England to New Zealand, and she wanted to work with me because I'd worked with her father. Can you believe this? Um, her father was in a band called Hello Sailor. If you ever oh. look up Hello Sailor, yeah. Um, you'll see that they were quite big in New Zealand and um, Australia, and uh, they they almost could have cracked states, but I, mm. I don't know what happened there. Uh, too many drugs or something, <laughs> or maybe I don't know management. I'm not sure what went on, but uh, yeah, um, Graham. I made an album with him just recently. Um, he passed away as well. Graham Brazy. He was from Hello Sailor. Great yeah. album. I really loved it. I was quite proud of it, and uh, he. Um, 
was telling me that uh, he was working with Ray Manzarek, you know, from The Doors. Uh-huh. So Ray Manzarek used to play with Hello Sailor at the Whiskey A Go-Go and places like that. So, yeah, and I, I oh, he's just having me on. And uh, anyway, I was watching some videos that his girlfriend had of the band when Graham passed, and there was Ray Manzarek on the keyboards and Graham on the stage singing next to him. I was like, whoa. It's really <laughs> <he> happening. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was really happening, Graham. Um, he was almost like, he, I guess he was New Zealand's answer to Jim Morrison, you know, very talented guy. Mm. Uh, and I loved making his album, but unfortunately he passed away. And then Colin Hogg, who's a journalist friend of mine, he came and said to me, look, Paulie's passed away, Graham's passed away. If anyone else passes away that you're working with, Alan, I'm going to start worrying about you. Oh, jeez. <laughs> Thanks, Colin. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm just glad that I got to learn so much about the, uh, the New Zealand music scene today, too, because we don't know enough. We really don't over in North America. It's exciting to learn. Oh, wow. You know? What'd you learn? Well, I've learned some of the titles of some of the artists that I need to check out mm -hmm. and about your history involving how your studio was together. And I think it's wonderful. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I, I was in a band called Body Electric before um, I ever got into the studio side of things. And mm. we, um, I really loved what we were doing. We were about to go over to the States and I had a car crash, which was a... And oh, no. it was unfortunate, but it was fortunate in a way because it um, made me, sh it showed me that I really didn't want to be on stage anymore. I really enjoyed being in the studio. Mm. I loved being in the studio and I kept having the same dream all the time. I mean, this is a weird one, but I dreamed that there would be, um, I'd be playing at a gig with the band and there'd be all these people there just going crazy. And I go, mm. oh, this is cool. I'm loving this. And they're all getting off on it, which they used to, you know, get kind of like almost like a high from the yeah. band. Playing. And then I'd go up to the venue when another band was playing and there was all the same people there doing the same thing. And I think, gosh, this is weird. Why am I keeping having this dream all the time? What, what have I done to deserve this? Oh. I came to realize that the dream possibly i hoping this is what it meant but it symbolized the fact that those people that were there were in the moment when that band was doing something that was absolutely you know bang on mm. that um they were enjoying it and they were getting the buzz off it and if you could go in the studio and just put that down you know it would be there forever yeah if that kind of makes sense you know it but does. That, that's what i think the dream was you know your subconscious telling you yeah yeah <laughs> So, um, yeah, I ended up in the um, building a studio, which was, and uh, my friend Steve Robinson, he came up to Auckland from Wellington and uh, he used to do ads and he sort of chucked me in the deep end because I had no idea. And he taught me quite a lot about engineering and just, you know, what happens. And mm -hmm. I never really wanted to do production either. I just fell into that by default because no one yeah. else was doing you know. Some of the greatest stories ever told was somebody starting to do it by accident.
shining till the steel Sitting up front, Elevisi by the wheel Pulling out of Arlen Bay, weather looking fine Flick the switch, needle twitch, FM to the dial Oli Toledo, singing to the songs Watching all the P's and Q's, nothing will go wrong Dino, Valentino and his lady Flashes, flashes, the deal's gone by, so it's good to be alive right on I was going to ask you one more question too, before we wrap things up about what goals lie ahead for you musically. What else do you have coming up that you are excited about? Oh gosh. <laughs> um, I'm doing a drum and bass album for, a, uh, well, my first client that ever walked in the door when we set up the first studio, I'm now wow. working with his son and his son's doing a drum and bass album and he's come and got me to get him out of trouble. So Ooh. I'm working, working on that at the moment, which is good fun. That's quite mm. interesting. And uh, I just really now I'm kind of semi-retired and I just want to enjoy myself. That's why I built the studio so I wouldn't have to pay big rents anymore and just enjoy what I do and just love what I do rather than having to go and do it every week just to pay the rent, you know. Amen. Doing what you love and getting paid for it. Not many people can say they can do that. Yeah. What's the book of Zen say? How can one be creative when one's worried about the rent? (laughs) (laughs) Her haze? (laughs) <laughs> I'm in agreement with that. I think many musicians are starving and in agreement with that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I feel for them. It's sad, isn't it? Yeah. But hey, sometimes it's just you're happy doing what you love. And I'm glad that you yeah. still get to do what you love. And never let go of your dream. That's what it comes down to. And, mm-hmm. you know, if your dreams don't scare you, then they're not big enough. Nice. That's true. Agreed. Yeah. Alan, Alan, you're awesome. I'm really grateful for you coming to spend time with me today. Um, Yeah. uh, Thank you again for sharing and teaching me so much. Oh, I don't know if I'm teaching anything, but I, well, yeah, I did. Like I said, I learned a lot more about New Zealand that I didn't know. Oh, well, if you ever come out here, come and visit us and um, yeah, we'll take you around some of those beaches and things. Oh, what a dream. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it's pretty nice out here. I can only imagine. I'll keep that in mind because I'm like 12 hours from the nearest ocean. It's sad. (laughs) Well, when you've got a studio, you can't be near the ocean anyway, unless you've got about five doors between you and the water because, you know, the um, salt air and everything just eats into the equipment anyway. I've seen that happen to a few people. That's true. That makes sense. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you again. I'm going to let you go. I hope you enjoy the rest of your day. Oh, thank you. And keep me in touch when it's on because I'd like I to will. send it to a few friends. Just tell I them. Will. Great. I, I will. I'll keep in touch with you. And then I'll, if you have the social media, I'll tag you in that too. Oh, thank you. Okay. Thanks. Thank I'm not you. really that way social media inclined, but I can go and hassle my daughter to sort of show me what's going on. Oh, there. That works. <laughs> yeah, yeah, she's pretty on to it. Follow us on Facebook at Dope Nostalgia. Instagram, dope underscore nostalgia, or on Twitter at Nostalgia Dope. This podcast is licensed by SoCan because we believe that artists should be paid for their work.